yesterday, there was, we went down to Whatcom County, so several of us from the Love Life group, and we went down and we had our first prayer walk of the 40 Weeks of Life prayer walk um, in Whatcom County. We went down to support and learn down there from them, and it was a wonderful day. It was a very blessed day. There were 17 of us from Riverside that were there, and so it was kind of a sea of blue, and it was mostly Riverside faces, and it was a wonderful day, and we prayed outside the Planned Parenthood, and it was a very impactful day. So God is moving. So continue to pray for that ministry and pray for guidance, wisdom on how we get to do those things in Canada because the freedoms they have in the States we don't have here, but God can make a way. So a couple of months ago, I was doing my devotional time and I was reading a passage and I just felt like the Lord said, this is a message that I'd like you to give. And so I noted it and I kind of started taking some notes a little bit about it. And a couple of weeks later, Pastor Brent said that he was going to be away for these two weeks. And so he asked for people to fill the pulpit. And so Pastor Rob was here last week and it's me this week. Unfortunately for somebody over in the overflow, she was like, what? He's not preaching this morning? He's back. Oh, (laughs) so I'm really sorry about it, you know, but it is what it is. So... But it is a blessing to be here with you this morning and to be able to fill this pulpit. So, yeah, let's stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Precious Father, we just ask this morning, that as we go through your word, that your Holy Spirit would minister to us and make your word alive and deep within us, Lord. We just praise you for what you're going to do here today in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Our passage this morning, it begins in verse 3, but I want to quickly kind of backtrack to verse 1 and 2 just to kind of give you a quick idea of what's been going on and what started this, this letter to these Christians. And Peter is writing to a group of Christians that have been widely dispersed. They've been, because of persecution 
under the Roman Emperor Nero, who was persecuting Christians in a horrible way to cover up for things that he had done already, um, like burning Rome, blamed that on the Christians. And so Christians were running and they were trying to find places where they could feel safer and avoid some of this persecution. And Peter is writing to these Christians and he's trying to give them a message of encouragement, a message that will tell them that God is with them and is faithful. And you know, I never cease to be amazed at how many times we can point to Romans 8.28, where it says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purpose. And you know, it was truly the way that God worked so often in that first church. As the persecution mounted and the Christians moved out, the gospel was carried further and further. And that's the, what, you know, the way that we see God work sometimes, is he moves through difficult circumstances to get his gospel preached. We see that even today in, in countries where there is immense persecution. The Christian church is solid. It's established and it's growing. Like It's an amazing thing how God works through the persecuted church. Peter refers to these, these uh, Christians as, as pilgrims. And that's really neat. It was like, it's from a Greek word. It's called peripedimos. And it means stranger or sojourner. And it's actually a combination of two Greek words, para meaning alongside, and epidemio meaning alien. So it's like an alien alongside or a resident foreigner. These people were residents in this new country, but they were still foreigners. They had an acquaintance with those that they were living with, but they were foreigners from another place. And it's really a much deeper thought than that. It's because they were Christians that their citizenship had been transferred from the earth to heaven. And you know, we are the same as the first church. As we come to know Christ and we follow him and we are his, we have been given a new citizenship and our citizenship is in heaven. We are just simply passing through on this earth. And you know, passing through might take 70, 80 years or more, but Really, in comparison to eternity with Christ, it's a mist in the wind. Like, it doesn't matter. It's not going to be that long. The writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 11, the men and women of faith whose lives were recorded for us in the Old Testament, he declared that they too were, by faith, pilgrims. These all died in faith, not having received the promises but having seen them afar off, were assured of them. They embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Even those saints from the Old Testament 
because of their faith, they knew that their home was no longer on this earth. It was in heaven, and they awaited that day. And I love it how it says, not having received the promises. They saw them afar off, but they were assured of them. They were confident in those promises. They knew that what God said he would do. So this brings us actually to the passage that we want to look at this morning. And as we look into the wonders of just what our citizenship in heaven really means for us, verse 3 begins with the words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Peter's first thought in encouraging these believers was to give praise and honor to God. It's interesting here that this word blessed comes from the Greek word eulogitos, and that's where we get our English word eulogy. And, you know, so we know that when somebody's giving a eulogy at a memorial service, they always, you know, well, not always, but most of the time, they say all the best things, you know, about the person that has passed away. They want everyone to know just what a wonderful person this person was. And it's interesting how quite often, you know, they say all the things at the funeral that they probably should have told the person when he was alive, you know, but anyway, um, Peter goes, he's really eulogizing the Heavenly Father. And he's saying all of the things that God is doing. He's, he's going to go on and, and talk about the wonderful um, Heavenly Father and his abundant mercy for us. Charles Spurgeon says, all his goodness to us begins with mercy. No other attribute could have helped us had mercy been refused. As we are by nature, justice condemns us. Holiness frowns upon us. Power crushes us. Truth confirms the threatening of the law and wrath fulfills it. It is from the mercy of our God that all our hopes begin. And this is the mercy that saved us from the righteous judgment of sin. Remember that the definition of mercy is not getting what we deserve. We deserve judgment and death as a penalty for our sin. But Jesus came in human skin and he took that penalty for us. He paid that price on the cross. He redeemed us. Isaiah 53 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, everyone, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. But you know, it's wonderful. As the Phil Wickham song says, that wasn't the end. Let me tell you what happened next. Peter goes on to say, we have been begotten again to a new and living hope because and by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see, Jesus didn't stay in that grave. He was resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit and he conquered death and hell because of the fact and that fact alone, we who put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior 
have been begotten or born again into a life not overshadowed by fear and death, but to a new and living hope that we will one day be seated in the heavenly places with him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And we see in Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We begin a life that we no longer live on our own strength. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit, who now lives within us, and that is grace in action. You see, while mercy is not getting what we deserve, grace is getting what we do not deserve. Praise the Lord for his ultimate grace and mercy in our life. And the living hope It's not that kind of hope we have when we say things, oh, I hope it's going to be nice today, or I hope I get everything I wanted for my birthday. No, the hope here means a confident expectation of what is certain. This is the hope that's grounded in nothing less than the words of Jesus Christ himself. We see him say it in John 11. He's talking to Mary. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? John 14, 1, 3 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, you may be also. Isn't that a wonderful thing? We don't, he's not coming here to be with us. He's coming to get us so that we can be with him. That is a wonderful and glorious thing. And he goes on a little bit further in John 14. And he says, a little while longer and the world will see me no more but you will see me because I live. You will live also. So you see, we have that absolute, confident expectation that what Jesus said he will do. Our hope is in him and nothing else. Because God is so amazingly gracious, he doesn't even leave our ability to hope up to us. He doesn't leave it up to our own strength. We're told in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God gives us the Holy Spirit in our lives to help us, to nurture us on, and to give us that hope. It's the power of the Holy Spirit living within us that says that we can move toward the goal of this ultimate realization of this living hope. The hope is referred to as living because it's based on the living, resurrected Jesus Christ. Our assurance of this hope is as sure as the fact is that Jesus is alive. John Walvert said, The believer's hope is sure, certain, and real, as opposed to the deceptive, empty, and false hope that the world offers. So Peter doesn't tell us exactly what our inheritance is, 
because I don't think that human words could describe what it is. You know, I don't think that he could probably fit that into his human understanding. But what he tells us is that it is incorruptible, it's completely pure, and it's undefiled, and it doesn't fade away. I don't know how you guys are, but I know when I try to picture things about heaven, what it might look like, or you know, I just can't do it. Like my brain just won't go there. It won't wrap around it. And, and when I'm in praise and worship, sometimes I, I try to picture myself standing in front of the throne of God as it's kind of described for us in, in Revelation chapter 4. And as I know it pales by comparison to what it will be. But, you know, you, you try to work those things out in your mind, but you just can't do it. So Peter, you know, he says that he gives us that. Um, what he's talking about there. And, and it's the function of the Holy Spirit, right? That actually it says, we're, we're told by the, there are inheritances reserved in heaven for every one of us who are kept, right? By the power of God. And the word kept is a military term and it means to guard, as though there was a sentinel standing, keeping watch. And not only keeping watch, but the word means to actively display the defensive and offensive means, whatever is necessary to guard. That's the function and the responsibility of the Holy Spirit within us. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee that we will make it to our final destination, to the home of our citizenship and the place of our inheritance. Second Corinthians tells us, now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. And in Ephesians, he says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is that guarantee. He has sealed us. We have been stamped with the, the Lord's name on us. It's like as though we were in a store and, and Jesus came and he paid that redemptive price for us. He bought us. We've been stamped with the name of Jesus Christ and we are waiting on the shelf until he comes to pick us up. You know, it, it is neat. He is our redeemer. He is the source of everything. So Peter's encouraging the believers here. They've been undergoing persecution and they've been forced to flee to areas they're not familiar with. They feel alone and overwhelmed and he's encouraging them that they're not alone and he's reminding them of the grace of God and they can have peace in their current circumstances and that there's a future awaiting them that cannot be described. And he says in this you greatly rejoice. And Peter doesn't just leave them, you know, kind of in that way where he says, yeah, I know, I know that times are really hard, but there's good things coming, so just buck up and put a smile on your face and carry on. He doesn't say that to them. Peter was very acquainted with trials and persecution, and he wanted them to understand that the trials themselves would ultimately help them in their Christian walk. Peter says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, 
You have been grieved by various trials. Peter acknowledges that they're indeed going through trials, and he understands that they're grieved. The word here means that there is a deep emotional pain or severe sorrow. And he doesn't try to downplay the severity of their trial, but he balances it with the words for a little while. He says that the pain, although intense, is short-term, and it will not last, especially in comparison to the eternity that we will spend with Jesus. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Our light affliction. That's quite the statement coming from Paul. Guy that was beaten, stoned, three shipwrecks, you know, everything that could possibly happen to somebody happened to Paul. But he considered it a light affliction in comparison to the glory that awaited him in Jesus Christ. Peter goes on to say that that it is for a short time and it's working out something for our benefit. He tells us that the trial where we're experiencing is to test the genuineness of our faith. It's said that a faith that is not tested is a faith that is not proven. David Guzek says, our faith isn't tested because God doesn't know how much or what kind of faith we have. It's tested because we are often ignorant about how much or what kind of faith we have. God's purpose in testing is to display the enduring quality of our faith. You know, whenever I'm thinking about testing of faith, it reminds me of an example that was given years ago. And my wife, Joan, her brother and his wife, they had their first baby boy and all was normal. Everything was fine. But then as they continued to try to have another child, she lost many children through miscarriage, different stages of the pregnancy. And this happened several times. And they were discouraged. And they would go before the Lord. And they wanted another child. They asked God. And finally, she carried a baby full term. And he was born eight pounds. Seemed totally healthy. But he died a couple of days later because he'd never breathed on his own. And you know, I remember being at that funeral and seeing that little white casket and seeing the pain on my brother-in-law and his wife's face. But, you know, he came later and he said some a pastor that just loved him came up and said, for some reason, God has entrusted you with this suffering. Don't waste it. <laughs> and that was something that just, for God to say, this, you know, don't waste the suffering. What an amazing way of looking at our trials and our circumstances. God allows things in our life. And there's so many of you in here that are going through things that are so hard, so difficult. God is allowing them in your life. Don't waste that opportunity to understand what he's doing. You know, they became 
such instruments of God's mercy to others. They blessed so many people through that story of their suffering, and they have become such amazing prayer warriors as they've gone on. And God is also so merciful because they also went on to have another boy. Those two boys have grown, and now they have seven grandchildren. So, you know, God is good. He carries us through sometimes that are hard, seemingly incredibly long. And we wonder, when is this going to end? But God has a purpose, and he will deliver you, and he'll deliver you with an understanding of what it was about. And now that you are able to give comfort to those with the comfort that you yourselves have received. Charles Spurgeon wrote, Indeed, it is an honor of faith to be tried. Shall any man say, I have faith, but I have never had to believe under difficulties? Who knows whether thou hast any faith? Shall a man say, I have great faith in God, but I've never had to use it in anything more than ordinary affairs of life, where I could possibly have done without it as well as with it? Is this to the honor and praise of thy faith? Dost thou think that such a faith as this will bring any great glory to God, or to bring thee any great reward? If so, thou art mightily mistaken. If our Heavenly Father, who loves us beyond measure, is allowing testing and trials in our lives, we can be assured that it is absolutely for our benefit. Romans 8.28 again. Peter says that our faith is more precious than gold, even though gold perishes, though it is tested by fire. And the same way that gold is purified by fire and heat, Peter says that our faith is tested and purified in the same type of way. You know, I love the example of the purification process of gold. The, the guy that is working with the gold, he takes the gold ore and he puts it in a vessel that can withstand immense heat. And it gets put over the fire and the gold ore is brought to a molten state. And because gold is heavy, it sinks. And the dross or the impurities that are in the gold float to the surface. And so the worker scrapes off that dross off the top and throws it away, and then stirs the gold and allows the process to happen again and again until finally all of the impurities in that gold have been removed. And the way that he understands and knows that this is the case is because he puts his face over the pot, and when he sees a clear reflection of his face in the gold, he knows he's done. That's what our Heavenly Father does for us. He wants to see his reflection in our face so that he knows that the purification work is done. And that's how he works in our life. He puts us sometimes under immense heat. And it's hard and it hurts. But God is so loving and so caring that he will carry you through. And it will be a reward, absolutely. We can praise him. Jesus Christ has been revealed to us through that faith that we have. And it is faith that we believe because 
None of us has seen him yet. Peter says, you love him. He says, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. God is so gracious in giving us that which we do not deserve. When our salvation is complete, when we get to see him and we get to be with him for eternity, that day, that's the end of our faith. Have you ever thought about that? When you get to heaven and you see the Lord, you don't need faith anymore. It's over. You've received the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You're with him. Jesus is truly the author and the finisher of our faith. What is an author? He's the writer or the creator of the book, right? And when the book of our life is done, whether by death or by his coming to get us, he knows the end. That's the finish of our need for faith. Jesus wrote the book of our life. And until we see him, we walk by faith. And we walk in him. If you're here today and you're, you're watching and you're in the midst of a personal trial of some kind, sickness, loss, financial, persecution, anything that can cause you despair, I hope and pray that you'll accept this message today as an encouragement as what God is doing and can do and will do in your life. As you lean into him and trust him, he's perfecting your faith. If you're here today and you're watching online, or maybe even at some other time you're viewing this message, and you don't yet have the confidence or the understanding that I've been talking about, if you're feeling that you want to know this Jesus and to have the forgiveness of your sins and the assurance of the eternity in heaven we've been talking about this morning, that's the Holy Spirit. He's working on your heart. He's prompting you to make a decision that you'll never regret. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Do not wait another minute. And if you want to do this right now, just say a prayer, something like this. Precious Heavenly Father, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need you. I need forgiveness for my sins. I need you to come into my life. Change me from within and make me a new creation in you so that I can live in eternity with you. And you know, if you've done that today, let us know. If you're here in the building, come up and let somebody know. We want to know. If you're online or you're watching sometime, email the church. We'd love to be able to catch up and, and to follow up with you. So if you've done that today, please let us know. Precious Father, we just thank you today for your mercy and your grace. The way that you sustain us through trial, the way that you constantly in, encourage us and strengthen us. God, I thank you for a body of believers that you have given us that can encourage one another. God, as we come out of trials, as we move from faith to faith, when we are encouraged, we can encourage others. God, help us to do that. Help us to use those trials in our lives that you allow in our lives to be something of value. In Jesus' name, amen.